I'm Nadia, dietitian and certified intuitive eating counsellor, and welcome to Good Enough Nutrition, the podcast, a space where we chat all about nutrition and well-being, intuitive eating, body image, and a sprinkle of all things periods and hormones. I'm here to remind you that guilt has no place near our food or bodies, and that you are good enough as you are always. So let's dig in. Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today I am so excited to bring you my interview with the lovely dietitian Basma Atia. We spoke about all things Basma's journey to becoming a non-diet dietitian, what is orthorexia and how does it show up, the messy part of healing our relationship with our body, and we gave a very wholesome take on self-care and how it can be used as a way to form that deeper connection with our body as well. I was so grateful for Basma sharing with us some things that she's recently reconnected with in her culture, uh, things like a certain body scrub and henna, and it was just such a beautiful conversation, very flowing, went where I wasn't necessarily expecting it to go, but it was so perfect, so I'm really excited for you to you all to have a listen. I'm also very thankful for you lovely listeners for rating and reviewing the podcast. I think about a third of a third of my listenership so far has actually hit the five stars on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And I think, I mean, I've got a smallish listenership, but I think that's such a cool thing that a third of you have done that and it just makes my day so if you haven't yet hit the uh, review button or hit follow it really helps me out as a small podcaster so without further ado i want to bring on basma and if you enjoy the episode please go give her some love over on her instagram which is linked in the show notes it's nourisher.au so please enjoy Today, I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing Basma Atia. Basma is an eating disorder dietitian based in Sydney, Australia. She loves all things body image and is passionate about advocating for health beyond weight. She runs her own company called Nourisher, which started almost two years ago with the aim of helping humans with eating challenges. In her work, she supports her clients in cultivating autonomy by leading their own recovery and building insight into their own experience. And Basma wishes to see the day where diet culture gets demolished. You and I both. Oh, I wish. <laughs> and then outside of the diet, being a dietitian, she is a new mum, a dancer and a reader. Now, yes. Basma and I connected on social media of all places where she speaks about body discomfort, boundaries and eating disorder recovery, all topics I love and all topics I can't wait to dig into further this morning. So thank you so much for being here, Basma. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So the first question that I like to kick off with is what has been lighting you up recently? Mm, well, aside from coffee, <laughs> um, being a new mom, honestly, I've started to value time, especially time that I spend on my own a lot more. So uh, dancing has been one of them. So going to the dance studio, meeting new people has been giving me a lot of energy, a lot of joy, 
um, grounding me as well, you know, allowing me to be myself, but then also be myself as a mom too. So definitely dancing is the highlights because I have stopped dancing for almost three years with lockdowns, having a baby. And then I was like, mm, I'm not going to do it perfectly like before. I had much more time to dance a couple of hours a week. Now I can do an hour a week. Sometimes I can't as well. And that's my new normal. So I'm like, okay, I allow this to happen. It doesn't have to be perfect. Thank you for sharing that experience. It's funny because that's actually something I think about all the time in future when I plan, me and my partner plan to have kids. And it's like being able to find or cultivate or maintain your identity outside of being a mom and what that experience has been like. So I know it's a bit off topic, but yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, it is. It is a I, I think no one prepared me for it, and that's fair. That's normal. Um, but it's an interesting experience, really beautiful, challenging. Um, it just helps you find yourself even more if you're ready to go deep. Mm, yeah, and I guess that relates to a question I have to ask about self-care later, which I can't wait to ask and hear your answer to. But before we do that, I wanted to ask my follow-up question, which is yeah. what led you to doing the wonderful work that you now do? And you can go as far back as you want as okay. is relevant. Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't know, when I was doing my last year of my degree, which was in 2013, I really felt like there was a missing piece. It just can't be weight, health, disease. And I'm like, oh, why? Like, what, what makes people eat a specific way? What makes us look a specific way? What is it? And I never found any answers, never. And I remember I connected really with one of my professors her name was uh, Karen, and I asked her, what is happening? Like, She said, well, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't have the answer for it, but probably after you graduate and you start working and you learn about the world, maybe you'll find some of the answers. And I did appreciate that in a way that did, she didn't rush me into my learning. And she said, just take your time. You'll figure it out. And if it's something you're meant to do, you're going to do it, but it's going to take its own time. <clears throat> So that was basically it. Myself as well, I think consciously and subconsciously there are two different answers. But at a conscious level, it's having the questions that don't have any answers. But at the subconscious level, it's me also dealing with a lot of body image, like concerns and issues, starting from being a young girl, not finding clothes that fit me and I was like what's happening here like are they supposed to make clothes for everyone I don't supposed to like I don't clothes to be sorry I don't clothes supposed to be worn by different bodies by different people but it really started when I was eight years old and I was like I need to change the way that I dress because I can't wear pants the pants that I go out to find like jeans or just any regular fitted pants they don't fit my body and I think from there as well, that was another motivation growing up, studying dietetics and really understanding mm, we don't all come out looking the same. We have different shapes, different bodies. So it all started from there. 
Mm. And so it sounds like you slowly, gradually after your degree started dipping your toe into the body image, eating disorder, non-diet space from your own lived experience of feeling like something wasn't adding up, right? Yes. And after I graduated and I done my placement, I started wanting to eat like the good girl. I want to eat right. I want to eat clean. And I, I remember specifically what triggered it all. I was doing a placement at a diabetes clinic and the dietitian was literally like quizzing the client about everything they eat. And this is right. And this is wrong. No, don't eat this. Eat that. Eat that. Don't eat this. You eat ice cream. Stop eating it. And I'm like, oh my God, these are all the foods that I eat. What am I supposed to do? I'm going out into this big world and I'm planning to be this dietitian that wants to help people and I'm eating ice cream. You know what I mean? And that just started it like, you know, I started eating right and, you know, really, I don't have to snack a lot. I can just eat my meals and I have to walk and I have to exercise. And I just took all this responsibility upon my shoulders to be this hero dietitian. And that was really disordered. And for me to unpack that and understand what was happening and why am I going through that and why do I have to actually eat like a good dietitian if that even exists um started also my journey later on really going deep into eating disorder work disordered eating work and trying to unpack that with my clients because I came from a diet culture perspective studying all these like subjects everything is really diet culture focus weight stigma and then really branching out and figuring out that, oh, I have to do this differently because that is not the right way or that way is damaging. It's harmful. Mm-hmm. What so stood out to me well. there? Yeah, what stood out to me there is the fact that you remember when that started for you and that started during your dietetics degree. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like beforehand, your relationship with food, although you mentioned body discomfort, your relationship with Liberal. food sounds like it was okay. It was beautiful. Oh, yeah. It was beautiful. And I yeah. come from a culture, we actually like, we embrace different bodies. Um, and I, I loved food. You know, I, I still love food. I appreciate food. Um, but that moment where I felt like, okay, I'm not a student anymore. I'm going to be somebody giving advice. I should look the part. I should walk the part. I should talk the part. And that was just a lot of pressure that I've put upon myself. And I think you're not alone in that, in that, that many people that either choose to study dietetics. So sometimes it happens before studying but also sometimes like for you, it happens during our study would probably have something that we'd call orthorexia, right? So would you mind kind of defining oh. that for my audience? <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. So really, orthorexia is trying to eat healthy all the time, uh, reading food labels, um, everything you want to eat has to be, you know, go through these food rules. Does it pass this healthy food rule? Um, 
and having a lot of anxiety around food as well like not having food flexibility if you're out and about okay it's hot today why don't we grab an ice cream that can bring up a lot of anxiety because ice cream does not fit in that healthy food checklist for example so it is kind of it can be a form of disorder eating and an eating disorder as well it depends how severe it is but definitely orthorexia I fell in that loophole as well like I want to eat right I can't just eat food whenever I want so it can look extreme and really life-threatening but it can also be something that exists with somebody who's highly functional you know living day-to-day life and you can't really pick it up because our culture really praises orthorexia behavior Mm, yeah and I definitely fell into that trap too and I think a lot Mm. of dietitians do and it's to the point that yeah you're you care about healthy eating and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing in and of itself is it but it's to the point that it is actually obsessive or takes up a lot of brain space or to the point that it's creates a lot of fear and is unhealthy isn't it definitely and socializing Mm. and the quality of life and being able to you know travel and enjoy food and enjoy different cultures so it's just also the mental space but also the social space that it tries to dominate Mm. yeah 100% it kind of takes over our whole life and it means that we forget that food is more than just fuel definitely yeah, yeah, definitely. And so when you kind of started that journey into understanding diet culture, understanding the role it plays and recognizing the damage that it does, it sounds like that's when you started kind of shifting your way of work as a dietitian. Actually, yes, I started journaling. I started writing, you know, things that I felt like, what is my story? I just started writing that and how did I start becoming a dietitian? I was thinking about my business and in the future, like I want to start my business. That was an idea I had in 2014. I want to have my own company. And I'm like, okay, let me start writing my story. And through writing my story, I realized, oh my God, there is power to journaling and writing things down. Like the brain sort of kind of takes another chance to look at it and kind of makes it another conclusion about it. Rather than it's sitting in the brain, it's like it's a bit of a messy space, but it's when you write it down, you can really reflect more and it's so powerful. Um, so going back to your topic, I think I, I just forgot, what did you ask me? Can you say that again? Yeah, <laughs> no, I was just asking about, um, yeah, that second part of the journey from going from challenges yes. with your own relationship with food into the space. Yeah, journaling was a big part of it. Understanding my life story. What is my story? What is my life story? What did I go through so far? That helped me understand what what, what was I going through. The second thing is I felt a lot of anxiety around food and socializing. And I'm like, that is not normal. <laughs> No, 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 no. That is not normal. I need to understand what's happening to me. And through being underfueled, eating less, moving more, you know, the general guideline, um, I was like, this is not right. I need yeah. to be energized. And when I started eating, feeding myself, 
and eating right oh my god the amount of energy and the mood and everything shifted and I'm like what what was I doing to myself it was a form of torture honestly like eating right or eating healthy yes it's great but then how healthy do you want to eat and in the expense of what as well does that make sense and I recently heard or read something about health is not a moral obligation like you can't force somebody to be healthy and you should not expect everyone want to be healthy the same way Hundred percent, and I guess that kind of speaks to the autonomy that I mentioned in your bio, right? Is that people can choose whether that's important to them, and we shouldn't judge people if it isn't important to them. One hundred percent. Yeah. What you said earlier in terms of the journaling and writing down your story, it, it makes me think about uh, one practice that I might do with clients. That is mm. that food and body timeline. And I'm curious whether you do something similar in helping people to put their stories down on paper and kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together because I find that helps us to bring a lot of self-compassion to ourselves to see, wow, okay, my relationship with food, my relationship with body, it's not where I want it to be. It's It doesn't feel good. And now I get why. <laughs> Is that a strategy that you use with clients? So I usually like to meet my clients where they want to be met, you know, like journaling is beautiful. But if somebody hates writing or feels anxious about their whole, you know, journey at the moment, they feel a lot of stress in trying to address it and really reflect on it. So if they're there, if they're ready, if I throw the idea out there, what if you write it down? Like, what if you write how you feel about food and uh, I don't know. I'm like, okay, okay, maybe now it's not the right time. Why do you find it a bit anxious? Why do you worry about writing it down? We try to unpack the why and ask a bit of questions, but some people like it, some people don't. It really depends. I did not understand the value of it after I've done it. And it's something that I felt I wanted to do as well. Mm. It's part of my story. I was in the same time, I was honestly like finding stories in my family writing things down my dad telling me about their journey his parents journey I'm like that's interesting I want to keep that to myself and it kind of happened in the same time started reflecting on my own career and I'm like wow so I like this strategy but I also like to see where is the client is and understand why they want to do it and why not and just take it from there because it's a really challenging topic isn't it like our relationship with food and our body it's something that can bring up so much angst so much stress so much shame so I really like that approach yeah yeah I agree with you and something we do a lot as well I think we eat most than anything else we eat every three hours we eat every two hours we eat every hour but it really depends so it is very personal and it also, our society places a lot of pressure on it as well. So people feel like, and I relate to that, I went through it to myself, they feel the responsibility to eat right. Mm. You know, they feel like they're responsible to eat right or to eat based on what people consider right so they can fit in. 
Mm, and that's what it comes down to at the core, isn't it? It's that search for love, safety and belonging through either what we eat, how we eat or how our bodies look. Yeah. And I guess that leads me to, I, I think I messaged you earlier and I said, I've been stalking your Instagram yes, <laughs> because I, you've, got oh my so, God. <laughs> you've got so much good stuff on there. And that kind of reminds me of one of your posts that you did. And the post simply said, it will get messy. And you were referring to this journey of healing our relationship with our food and body in this world and so I wondered if you could tell us more about the mess <laughs> oh wow so it when you shake things up an old behavior uh, a pattern of thinking um old furniture things are gonna come up dust is gonna come up mess is gonna come up so I do mess is part of the journey like the only way you're through is through I'm sure you heard the saying before and when I talk to my clients, usually they are scared of the mess. They're scared of the uncertainty. They're scared of the fear, the anxiety, the loneliness. They're scared of really being themselves as well, opening up to what they really want and what they are scared of. And that is the real, the real mess, the hard yard. And sometimes with clients, I'm like, just, okay. It can take three to six months, okay? Let's go through that in three to six months. Let's go through that mess. Let's develop our relationship. Let's work on our bond. And let's see how that goes for you, all right? Whenever you feel like, oh, my God, I can't do this. Oh, this is really hard. Okay, how long has it been? Okay, one week? All right. Do you think this is a long time enough for you to see anything? No? Okay, good. I know you mentioned three to six months. Yes, it can be longer than that as well. But let's start with giving ourselves some time in the beginning. And let's put a short frame framework to work with. And this is where it really starts to unpack things. And it can be a lot of back and forth. I'm scared of the mess. Let's pause for a minute. Let's go inside. Let's unpack it together. Okay, let's take a break. Okay, I want to digest this on my own. So this is the mess that I talk about. In any sort of work whether whether it's eating disorder related or not body image related um there is starting a business I'm sure you're also familiar with that there is mess there is hard work there is you know it's difficult mm -hmm. so I think we can't protect anyone from how difficult it is mm -hmm. and I think I love what you said before in like acknowledging the time frame like this could be a possible time frame right it's not a eight-week program <laughs> it's oh, not no. like a quick oh, fix no. <laughs> <laughs> but acknowledging that how long have you struggled with your relationship with food and so for so long. many people we see it's 10 20 30 40 50 years right oh, so wow. being able to hold space for that mess is and acknowledging that this won't change overnight and in the society that we're in we're we're actually trying to swim upstream <laughs> in our culture so I really love that you said just holding space for that to take time to get messy and to take two steps forward and one steps back yeah I really like that yeah I appreciate that as well you you word it up in a way that is really you know I resonate with it like we can't 
Our client experience is unique to themselves and how they navigate the world is also unique to them. And we can support them in that. But we can't really rush them into getting over it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. 100%. It makes me think of, like you kind of said, it's the same in different areas of life, you know. It makes me think of uh, when we're thinking of like trauma-informed care and, you know, psychologists might do trauma reprocessing, but the first phase is always safety and stabilisation. Do you have the tools to look after yourself while we do this really, really difficult work? And if not, let's build that toolbox first <laughs> to make 100%. sure that it, you can cope with these challenging topics 100 and with eating disorders i think the eating disorder itself is high maintenance it wants to be this one and only friend it wants to be private it wants to be it doesn't want the person to share what's going on it wants to be the one who's on the spotlight does that make sense? So a lot of people struggle to say, I am going through a lot. Mm -hmm. I need help. They feel scared to say that they're going through all of that. So definitely asking what sort of support do they have? Does anyone know about it? You know, as you said, the relationship with food can be 20, 30, 40. So some people can be with an eating disorder for a very long time. So does anyone know? Does your partner know? Does your mom know? Does your friend know? Who knows? Who can you call when things are messy and when things are hard? Can you just call somebody and say, I'm going through a difficult time? I know we're fortunate enough to be in a country like Australia. We have helpline. We have different mental health support, you know, 24-7 support. And that in itself can be also scary for people to access because then they feel labeled, they feel shame, they feel, oh my God, is it this bad? Is it this bad that I need to call this specific line? Um, so yeah, it is, it's messy. It's, <laughs> yeah. messy it's hard. Yeah, yeah. And being able to be the one to sit there with clients in the mess and say, oh, hey, I'm, I'm here for you when you need. And if you have to take a break, that's okay. There's no set timeline. I think it's such a privilege and it's um, it really comes across, so at least in my brief conversations with you and on your Instagram, that that's the work that you are so passionate about doing. Yeah, a lot. And, and when you said it's not 90 days, it's not a 30-day program, Every time I see this, I'm like, oh, my God. Hmm. Uh, so I do, as you say, somebody who sits with the client when it's hard, you know, um, offering them space to be what they want, who they are at the stage that they are in. Even if we think they should do something different, they should eat more, they should exercise less, they should tell somebody about what they're going through. But Definitely just holding space for that, being there, asking the questions, listening, it can be can be a lot. It can be something that a lot of people would find very helpful in itself without yeah. the doing and the advice and the directing and what's next and da-da-da-da-da. And, and that kind of reminds me of another Instagram <laughs> post that you've done. Uh, and it's kind of uh, on that topic of 
self-care, right? But I guess not in the way that we kind of think about self-care today. <laughs> that is all bubble baths and, you know, quote unquote hot girl walks, right? <laughs> and we so one of your posts you quoted Audrey Audrey Lord, who is a black feminist poet and activist, among yes. many other things. And the quote read, Caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. And I love that quote, and I wondered, you know, why you posted it and what that means to you. Um, I It means, well, first of all, being somebody who does come from a Black culture, I did feel like, wow, a Black woman started thinking about self-care from you know, from a boundaries perspective, from looking after the self from within and really establishing that for herself and for the people around her. I felt so proud. I was like, wow, you know, because as you said, self-care is marketed to us as bubble bath, facials, and I love those. And if I have the time, I'll do them. Uh, But I understand, you know, self-care has become this external thing. You know, it's an external thing. Again, it fits within what the culture wants, what the society is looking for, you know, how our hair needs to look like, the skin. And mm-hmm. again, self-care from something that was really political, something that is personal, something that helps people show up in their best self to something that is external, something that is people-pleasing, something that is Instagram-friendly, something that is, you know capitalist something that you have to spend on from buying things to help you feel better from the outside but it doesn't sink in really it can't sink in for a moment oh my god my skin looks beautiful you know but how long will that last so reading about it understanding her story and I don't know her a lot myself but when I came across her through a book called real self-care and I was like what what? Who is this person? Uh, so I really felt proud that she was an African-American woman who really stood up and said, well, I need to look after myself. And that's a necessity. This is not a an extra. This is not a, you know, it's not a waste of time. It's something very essential. So I was mm. like, I have to post this. This is amazing. <laughs> mm. And then I started doing the digging and understanding her and really reading a little bit about her. Mm. Yeah. And it kind of, it speaks to, it as a internal experience, doesn't it? Self-care and how we, how we feel in our nervous system because we can't pour from an empty cup. Right. And I think, yeah, I just wanted to link together those things that, you know, when we are doing this work, when we're working on our relationship with food and our body, we actually need so much self-care at the same time because it is such a, often a really distressing thing for people. And I'm Mm. curious, like I, I'm curious if you have any favorites uh, that you use that they, they may fit into the bubble bath category or they may be completely different that either you use or you share with clients that you find is really supportive to 
make navigating these difficult conversations and this difficult journey of healing our relationship with food sustainable long term, <laughs> not burning out from, you yeah, know, all the hard work so soon. Yes. And, yeah. And the burnout can actually come from the external self-care, the buying and going and doing and oh. So for me personally, um, honestly, I'm a different person now. Being a mom, I'm a completely different person. But lately, like when I came to Australia about six years ago, my mom gave me this body scrub. It's traditional, homemade, smoked. You know, the person who prepared it is prepared at home, basic ingredients. And I kept it for a while. You know, I was like, okay, I'm just going to use it sometimes. And lately, I've been really connecting to it from a, an aromatic way, the smell. And this is something that me and my ancestors did over generations. We probably used the same formula, the same ingredients to scrub our body and be in the moment of understanding how is our body connecting with it, you know? And I'm like, lately, I'm like, wow, this is fabulous. This is fantastic. So this is one of the things that I've been resonating with a lot. But also dancing is a form of self-care. You know, leaving the house, going somewhere that I enjoy, having time for myself, connecting with other people who love exactly what I love as well and do different things in life, different ages. Um, but with my clients, I really ask them what is self-care to them. And some of them, you know, it's okay. It's the facials. It is getting my nails done. I think we hear that a lot. Yeah, I look after myself. I get my nails done. I'm like, wow, that's nice. I do it every week. And it can be, to them, a break. It can be, I talk to somebody that I meet every week and she tells me what she's going through and I tell her what I'm going through. It's a time where I don't have to do anything with my hands. I just give it to somebody else, you know? <laughs> so I meet them where they are. What is self-care to them? And then we try to plant the seeds, you know, food and feeding is form mm -hmm. of self-care. Uh, trying to take care of our, you know, how do we go to bed? What is our bedtime routine? How do we wind down from the busy world and the technology and the Instagram? How do we just slow down and go into sleep is a form of self-care. Boundaries is a form of self-care. You know, even boundaries with the self, you know, our thoughts and how we feel and when the emotions, when they take over the day, how do we try and establish boundaries over time with the self? So really, for me, my own care, if a client is interested and I take Instagram as a space to talk about what I'm interested in. But if a client wants to hear, oh, how do you look after yourself? I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but I try to meet them where they are. Like, honestly, now at this stage of my career, I used to practice differently. Now I value meeting my client in the stages that they are in. If they consider self-care is nail polish, you know, listening to music, I don't know, like um, bubble bath. I'm like, all right, that makes you feel good. All right. Have you considered something else? Do you want to talk about, you know, other ways of form of self-care? Yes or no? Planting the seeds slowly and then see what they come up with. Yeah, thank you for sharing. There's so many directions I could go with that. So much rich 
information. And one of the things that really jumped out for me is that concept of as you were talking about that body scrub and connection with the senses, but also your culture is that concept. And I wish I not, I wish I knew who came up with this is that of the body as an heirloom and being able to connect with the body in in ways that is more than you know your physical body in the here and now I think the senses are a beautiful way to Mm. practice self-care and regulate our nervous system but what came up for me is that concept of the body of an heirloom and connecting it to our ancestors and our culture and I think that's uh something that people in white bodies really don't do very well at Mm. all um we lose that connection with our culture and I guess that kind of led me to thinking a little bit more about you were talking about your background of having body discomfort from a young age, from eight years old. So clearly, you know, you've come such a long way in the ability to kind of connect your body to your culture, to your ancestors as an heirloom and take care of it in that way. And so I just wanted to share that that's what came up. For me, Thank and you. I wondered if you had anything more to share on that topic. Oh, um, honestly, even when I love everything body image related, and yeah. I feel like something as simple, but it's, it takes time as a mom, it takes time to scrub your whole body. <laughs> but <laughs> something as simple, if somebody's struggling with body image and they hate specific parts of their body, let's say they hate their belly, they hate their thighs through the act of body scrub, connecting with the body with, you know, allowing space for all the hardship to come up, but also allowing compassion to start, you know, leading the conversation, you know, allowing um, space for a bit of love to come up. Maybe it's not possible. Maybe it's possible. But connecting with that, so the act of self-care in scrubbing the body and connecting with the parts that you feel disconnected from or a person feels disconnected from because at this stage, they hate it, they want to change it, they wish if it was this or if it was that. So the act of body scrub, I feel for myself, is like such a connecting exercise or such a connecting uh, ritual in a way that you feel like, okay, I accept this body the way it is now and I'm going to look after it. I'm going to learn to look after it. And it might mean once a month, I'll scrub my body. Once every three months, I'll scrub my body. You know, it does really, it can take time for that act to establish itself and to feel comfortable to be with this body in that moment. Does that make sense? Mm. So definitely, even in my culture, you know, even all, let's say, an African culture that is really grounded in rituals and grounded in tradition, in this day and time, they are also encouraged to leave that behind. Leave it behind, go chase your dreams, work for this, work for that, leave this and that. Ethnic food is bad, you know, ethnic food is unhealthy. Oh, my God. So... (laughs) Um, a lot of people, even if they can be, if they look like they have culture or if they look like they come from a specific background that has a lot of rich culture and rituals of self-care, because of the system we live in, they feel the pressure of letting go. And that is something that 
you know, I'm connecting with more and more. And I'm very fortunate that I come from a family that is not pushy. They're grounded, you know, like if you want to do it, you do it. It's there, you know, and I do appreciate that because now is the time where I feel like I can connect with this culture and with these practices. And something that uh, I often think about is you it's often your level of presence in that moment that can connect you with it. Because I love that what you said about being able to scrub your body and connect with your body and form that self love, hopefully, if not some form of relationship, right? And for some people that initial stage might be getting the nails done and that might be a way of connecting with your body in a way that feels more accessible and people often don't think about that right maybe Mm. when they're getting their nails done they are their mind is a million different places and so I love that that whatever feels most accessible for you maybe it is just taking two moments while you're getting your nail done nails done to look at your hands or just connect with your body even in the smallest moments and that might be the most beautiful gateway into connecting with your body in kind of a larger sense in future so I love that it kind of comes back to what you're saying about meeting your clients where they're at and looking at things in a new way like the body is an heirloom or getting your nails done is an act of connecting with your body if you're present in the moment to let it be exactly and you think about the things we do with our hands our phones laptops typing and again, if we go back to culture, I don't know, do you know henna? Yes, yeah, yeah. So women where I come from, let's say on fortnightly basis, would apply henna to their feet and to their hands in an act of resting, not doing anything. So rest as well and how it is a form of self-care, putting your feet up. They have to put their put their feet up and put their hands up, rest them on some pillows or anything, and they just stay there for a couple of hours. Talking, somebody is feeding them, giving them water, uh, fixing their pillows so they are more comfortable, and they're just resting and being in the moment. How beautiful is that? I love that. And that to me is like getting your nails done. You don't have to do anything with your hands. Your mobile phone is away. You are really in the moment, as you said, present and trying to find in this busy world a moment to say, I look after myself and it might be getting my nails done. I think that's such a beautiful takeaway for the, for our listeners today to be able to say, can you find a moment, you know, whether it's once a day, once a week, once a fortnight or a month, where you can connect with your body in that way, in the present, and as simple as, say, getting your nails done, uh, yeah, or something that perhaps relates to your culture. I think that's just a great little challenge for our listeners. (laughs) It is. The way they know how, you know, the way that makes them feel like I looked after myself today Mm -hmm. and allowing space that there could be other forms as you go that would make as much sense as getting your nails done I love that I really love that 
So I'm mindful of your time as a busy mom. Yes, my <laughs> daughter know. is in the yeah. park with yeah. her dad. <laughs> but they'll be back soon. Yeah. So I wanted to finish up before we let people know where they can find you. I wanted to know if you have any favorite resources, whether that be a book or a person or a podcast that you would like to share with the listeners today. Mm, it's it's a difficult one you know I used to like oh I love this author oh my god I love this book I used to be like that but more and more of like I take everything with a grain of salt you know and encourage my clients to do the same you know challenge me that doesn't make sense tell me why should I do it you know um but I can't think of something I can't really think about a specific thing Mm. now no Mm, it's almost it's kind of like what's your own intuition saying you know I, I yeah I've been asking this question and I've got a list of resources so long that I can't wait to dive into <laughs> but it's almost lovely to be able to say yeah have you had a moment of silence and what's your own intuition saying <laughs> exactly I don't know like I love reading but the time that I get to read now is so minimal yeah. oh my god it's not even <laughs> funny so I can't recommend anything, but if something comes up for me, I'll definitely, I'll definitely share that. Yeah. If you, if um, Basma lets me know something, I will pop it in the show notes. But yes. where you are a great resource. So where can people find you? On Instagram, most definitely on Instagram. So you'll find me under Norisha dot uh, or just write Basma B A S M A A T I A. You'll find me there as well um I do take in clients a little bit now you know I'm focusing on being a mom being present in that moment that is ever changing uh but I do take on clients and I see them online um but yeah I'm happy to hear even if somebody wants to connect just drop me a message they want to chat about something I'm usually open to that as well beautiful do you have a website for potential clients wanting to see you or is it best that they get in touch on instagram instagram is the best place the best and i'm usually i can look at my information and notification quite quickly on instagram so i think that's the first best meeting spot okay beautiful i will put that in the show notes but thank you so much for your time today basma for your energy for your presence for sharing a bit of your culture i really appreciate it so thank you Thank you. And we'll speak soon. Thank you so much for listening to Good Enough Nutrition. If you have thoughts or questions from today's episode, hit me up over on my Instagram at Nadia Maxon Nutrition. If you have a moment to rate or review the podcast, that would be amazing. Or share that you're listening on your stories and tag me. I absolutely love to see it. As always, remember that guilt has no place near our food or bodies and you are good enough as you are always.